0: Welcome back to Secondhand Therapy. Uh, we're doing things a little different this week. We we have a guest.
1: We have a doctor in the house.
0: That's right. An now, expert. We're not experts. We're not therapists. She is. She is. Dr. Lori Singer. Uh, and she is also the author of You're Not Crazy, Living with Anxiety, Obsession, and Fetishes. Uh, you can get this book on Barnes & Noble and Amazon. It even has this little workbook in the back. So if you're struggling with ADHD or anxiety or these obsessions... Check it out. She is going to fuck us up, isn't she? Enjoy the show. Mm. somebody who has uh turned grief into motivation or finding purpose and that's something that kind of is in our wheelhouse um can you talk a little bit about that and like what's that What what is that turning point like about because we we talked a few weeks ago about this idea of this kind of bigger than concept of things not happening to you they're happening for you and It's hard when you're talking about grief, but a lot of times out of grief comes this new purpose in life or this new chapter and things like that. Um, And that seems to be kind of like the start of your story, your turning point. Am I right?
2: Yes. Um, It's interesting because you say grief. There's a different things that I've grieved over since I was younger, which I didn't realize, you know, of course, the death of my son was the big Grief process, which I didn't actually go through until about 10 years after his death, because I just pushed everything down inside because I wanted to be able to function for my yeah. other, you know, my five year old daughter. So, been there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, I didn't want to deal with it, and I didn't until I was in um, graduate school. And uh, they said, the instructor, the professor said, Hey, if you go to therapy, you'll get 10 hours of. Therapy will count as 100 hours for your internship. And I said, oh, I'm in. I'm (laughs) I'm going to therapy. I've never been to therapy, but I'll go because I was getting my license as a therapist, which is ironic. Um, But uh, while I was in therapy, I started to talk about my mom and her alcoholism and drug addiction and how she left our family when I was 10 years old and what that even looked like leading up to me being 10 years old so it was a lot of uh screaming yelling you know chasing my dad out of the house and my dad trying to wrangle us up and throw us in the car to get us away from her and she would lay under the tires and it was just horrible so i guess at some point i had to grieve over not having um a solid family or a mother figure. So. Yeah, it's it's
0: tough when you have to grieve the living. You know what I mean like when you cut somebody out of your life or something like that and and a relationship goes awry or you it it is a toxic situation and you have to release that person out of your life. That's also grief. You're also losing that connection and that
2: and you don't have the tools to deal with it.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah.
2: nobody says okay, well, you're going to go into a relationship, so I hope it works out. But if it doesn't, this is what you should do. There's not a manual for that, right? Right. Or if somebody passes away, now there's more literature, you know, that you can find. But at that time, um, especially, you know, when my, a a lot of times when I would go to friends' homes, I would just say that my mom died because it was easier than saying, oh, my mom left us for somebody else, you know, and she doesn't want Mm. anything to do with us. Or, yeah, my mom's an alcoholic or a drug addict. So I had to process that and then the death of my son. So uh, then it came out in anxiety. So that was the first time I ever had a panic attack was after she told me, well, you know, that's not normal. That wasn't a normal childhood. Really? I guess it wasn't. I never really processed it. And, you know, when your son died, that was very tragic. And, you know, how did you deal with it? Well, I really didn't so then everything just came to the surface and i couldn't drive on the freeway anymore i uh which was difficult because i was had a job where i had to drive from you know one place to the next and it was just it was horrible time in my life Um, but i did get through it and um, i actually the therapist was using some type of cognitive behavioral therapy with me and she would tell me you know you should take some deep breaths you should do this Uh, but it wasn't really enough for me. And so I, I needed something else. And at that time I was working with some foster kids and we were working, they were, they had ADD and ADHD and it was, how do you get them to slow down? How do you get them to stop? Make a choice. Is it a good choice? Okay, go ahead and move to the next base. It was kind of like a baseball thing. So I took that and I thought, oh, that sounds like a signal. When you get to the signal, you, if it's red, you stop. Yellow, you make a choice, is it safe to go? And then green, go. So I use that as if I was starting to get a negative thought or a thought that was creating anxiety, I would say, okay, I need to stop. You know, I'd have a little, I made a signal card and I I would look at it and say, okay, you need to stop what you're thinking. Um, Make a choice, make a choice, turn on the radio. Or, you know, they didn't really have cell phones back then, they were pagers. So um, turn on the radio, sing a song, Take a deep breath. So those were visual reminders for me. Uh, so I kind of used. Now I know what I did was I used behavioral therapy. How do you change your environment along with cognitive behavioral therapy? Is how do you change those negative thoughts?
1: Interesting. I had. Uh, that's kind of how I was introduced to anxiety. I had never dealt with it before. And then I had a death. I had. I was in a fire, and then I was in a car accident. And like everything was fine. And then one day I just started having panic attack after panic attack. And I tried to deal with it. Like I would wake up, I would meditate, I would do four, seven, eight breathing. I was going to the gym like six days a week. And no matter what, anytime I got behind the wheel of a car, I would have a panic attack. And I was like, Oh, cool. So Lexapro
0: then. <laughs> so you've had our bus card. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Daddy doesn't ride the bus. So yeah. <laughs> And
2: isn't it strange how it happens a lot behind a wheel? And I have a lot of clients that have, you know, come in over the years because I've been doing this over 20 years. And it is it's so strange. And I I don't know what it is about the car, you know, that it just. Maybe that you're by yourself that you're driving anything can happen. I'm not really sure.
0: But yeah Is it a control thing because you can't control anybody? Yeah All you can control is your car yeah. and your decisions, but everything else is out of your control So maybe there's some kind of roots there. Yeah,
1: that was the therapist I was seeing uh, in Arizona That's that was kind of his take. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, when you're in a car everything outside of the car is out of your control He's like so you're basically just waiting for something to happen
0: Wow, yeah, that just
1: scary. O- that just overloads your brain basically.
0: Yeah, yeah Super cool. (laughs) Super tight, super tight, super tight. Yeah. Yeah. But,
2: you know, and I tell the people that come in to see me, um, you know, it's good that you're dealing with this now because what happens is anxiety, as you know, takes on a life of its own. And it Mm -hmm. starts out small, but then it becomes debilitating when it affects other areas of your life, like driving. And then you may not, you know... uh, you may call in sick one day because you don't want to have to drive, and then who knows? You might get laid off work, so now it's affecting your job. Could affect your relationships, your social life. Uh, it just can be devastating.
0: Yeah, I'm learning now that I I have uh, just a little bit of anxiety, just yeah. a little bit. I'm a yeah. super chill, laid back dude. Absolutely. And, not. Uh, <laughs> What we talked about uh, in the last episode was this idea of, is, are my control issues triggering my anxiety or is my anxiety triggering my control issues? And uh, turns out it's anxiety is the root and it ble—it does, it bleeds into everything in your yes. life. And you don't, I was always in motion. I spent most of my life touring and, you know, I would do 40 to 46 weeks a year on the road. And so I just never had time for myself as odd as that is you know to just be with me even though i am with me but you know you're in planes trains and automobiles and you're doing shows and you're doing whatever so um this past year i've had a lot of time off and and i've had a lot of time with myself and i'm starting to see all this anxiety in my life and how it's bled over into everything and i'm like oh it's everywhere it's crazy i
2: know I know. And some anxiety is okay, you know, like, as you know, you know, getting ready for a show or a big event or, you know, meeting people. But it's when it comes to the what if, okay, well, what if I get on the freeway and I can't drive or what if, because then your head just starts to spiral and you start thinking of all these negative thoughts that probably wouldn't even happen, you know, in reality. But our mind is so powerful, especially when it comes to the what-ifs. Yeah,
1: and then those worst-case scenarios, they build, and they build like exponentially. Yes,
2: yes. It's like I also, what I like to use, and I use it a lot with my clients, and I use it for myself. I still use the signal plan for myself because I still become anxious in some situations. But I have these worksheets, and it's thought versus reality. Um, So what's happening right now And uh, in my opinion, what should happen and what is the reality of the situation? If we were to use going in a car, for example, entering the freeway, um, what's happening? Well, I'm going on the freeway. In my opinion, I should be fine and I should be able to not feel my hands clenched on the steering yeah. wheel, right? And the reality of it is, is that I've been driving for a long time. All I need to do is take a deep breath. I'm going to be okay. So if you can talk yourself, use that positive self-talk and look at it more realistically, at least with me, it, it seems to work.
0: Yeah. Can you talk about the differences and in, in the therapy that you offer versus the traditional idea of therapy?
2: So mine is very solution based. It's, um, it's a, I guess it's a talk therapy in a way because I get to know you and I want to know, you know, what's going on in your life right now. But I don't want you to have to relive everything over and over again. And I give homework. So you would come into my office. I would get to say, you know, what's going on in your life right now? Well, I, you know, I'm having, I can't get on the freeway. I can't drive. Okay, let's talk about that. When did it first happen? Because a lot of times people don't realize that there was a trigger. Something happened to remind you of, uh, of an event or a situation that, that caused the anxiety in the first place. Like mine was, it was in a 10-year lapse. Right. Like who would have thought? Yeah. But it was talking about my son's death and my mom, you know, being an alcoholic that brought all this anxiety to me. So let's talk about that so i would give you data to take it's abc data so antecedent behavior and consequence so the behavior would be i my hands started to get tight on the wheel i couldn't breathe i couldn't breathe i couldn't catch my breath i exited the freeway and went home you know i exited the freeway well what happened just before that i started to think what if i get a panic attack what if i can't drive so again it's the mm, what if statements yeah. right mm. And what was a consequence? I never got to my destination. Um, I had to call in sick to work that day. So what we do is we take I take that information that you give me from your homework, a week's worth of data, and I put together a treatment plan for you. And that treatment plan would be a motivational story and the signal plan with some visuals and explain to you what cognitive behavioral therapy is and what behavioral therapy is. And we talked about that a little bit, the cognitive part is, how do we change those negative thoughts and let you realize that they don't have control over you. The thoughts create emotions and they're exhibited through our behavior. So mm. the thoughts about what if I get into an accident could be exhibited in, I can't breathe, or you know my hands are tight, I need to get out of here, I need to get out of here. Um, I'm sorry, where was I? No, you're fine. <laughs> you're <okay. laughs> That's, that's my brain um, so okay so from that so and the motivational story is something that you would I would give you you have to read this at least once a day you have to read it before you get into the car you're gonna practice your breathing and you'd practice your signal card before you get into the car so a motivational story might be my name hi my name is Michael I'm um, I don't know I don't, I don't know how old you are but whatever you know my name is Michael um, I have anxiety but that does not define who I am I'm going to move forward with my life. I'm taking positive steps. And next time I start to feel anxious, I'm going to stop whatever I'm doing or thinking. I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to make a choice to use a strategy and replace those negative thoughts. Green, go, I'm gonna take a deep breath. So it's very solution focused. And it's how do I get you to move forward? How do I give you the tools that you need to carry on in life so that you don't have to come and see me for a year?
0: Right. Wow. That's interesting. As we talk about this a lot on here in, in this idea of getting better, there's a lot of steps and especially with self worth and self uh, image that we talk about a lot on here. Um, You know, the tips and tricks that some people give you like sit in front of the mirror and tell yourself that you love yourself or that you look good today and like all these things. And it's hard for us to take those things seriously. How do you overcome not feeling Silly, talking to yourself in the car and being like, "I, my name is Michael, and I have anxiety, but I'm gonna fucking do it today." <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you, how do you overcome that, and and actually, be, tricking yourself. I'm mean, using, you see, I'm using tricking yourself. How do you start to believe? In the, the, these things that well, you're saying,
2: because what happens is, so when I give you, uh, make a binder for you with your treatment plan. I also have a weekly schedule that you're going to be made accountable for, um, you know, practicing these these techniques. And then what happens is when you use it and it works that's how ah. it's going to justify you saying them and eventually it'll all be in your head where you don't have to read the story every day the motivational story but um but it'll be in your head some of it does that make sense yeah and i actually even give my clients uh like a boat keychain because it's squishy and then uh i attach a signal card to that a laminated one so they have it with them they can hold it they can look at it they can squeeze it and it's uh, very helpful. And down the road, you don't need that. You can fade back some of those visuals and you know some of the other techniques that you're using. But uh, I still use some of those techniques. Like I use the thought versus reality because for me it works. I might get anxious over something that happened at work or with a client, so I have to say, okay, what is going on? This is what's happening. In my opinion, it should be this, but what is the reality? I've done everything I can. I've done all that I could, so the rest is, it is what it is.
1: So from your, from your experience, how long do those behaviors take to where you see results?
2: It depends. Um, the longer you engage in a behavior, the harder it is to change. Not impossible, but harder. So you can use the example of smoking cigarettes. I mm-hmm. mean, somebody who's been smoking three years, it will be... More than likely, it'll take them less time to quit smoking than somebody that comes in and says, "You know, I've been smoking for 50 years, and I just want to stop." My doctor says I should stop. Yeah. Well, it's not impossible, but it's going to be harder. But we will come up with a plan for that. Um, they're going to need an incompatible behavior, maybe suck on lollipops, gum, put up posters of people smoking out of their neck. I don't know. Um, yeah. We've done <laughs> right. all, and we've done stuff like that, you know, in my practice. So, how
1: about hypothetically? Like thirty years of negative self-talk. <laughs> well, <laughs> just hypothetically. <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> What's your plan?
2: <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, it's the same thing. We can kind of use myself as an example. I, I just, uh, well, I'm in my sixties now, but I got diagnosed with uh, ADHD in my fifties. So I always thought I was. I didn't use the word dumb but i really did think i was dumb i barely graduated high school i was a horrible student in grade school i just couldn't focus i couldn't and i probably have a learning disability on top of it um so i was always sent to the principal's office always getting in trouble um so i think when we reach different milestones we can we can start to feel better about ourselves i started participating in local 10ks and was winning and i was good at it so the college asked me to run for them, and I thought, I can't, I can't go to college. I'm so stupid, I'll never pass anything. But I applied the same skills that I use for racing and to studying, and I just couldn't believe how well I was doing. And I was, I'm very driven, so I, was, I was, had to do well. And the fact that I was getting good grades was a reinforcement. So I think we need some type of positive reinforcement of getting back on the right track so if you're talking about not feeling good about yourself, I don't know if that's internal or external. I don't know. If yes. I'm both. <laughs> Just, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so the fact that you are now doing something uh, productive with your um, podcast, my daughter, Jessica says that you have a lot of followers on TikTok, right? Yeah,
1: we're, we're doing okay. You're doing really well. <laughs> yeah.
2: So how does that make you feel? That's fine. Does it make you feel good? I mean, you're doing something and it's, and you can see that other people are following you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is nice.
2: So you need to acknowledge that and give yourself credit for that. You're doing well in that. So it's those little milestones that you have to accept it. It's a positive thing, right?
0: He has a hard time in the belief
1: of it. We literally talked about this last night about like, I don't like compliments. I don't like like any, it's so hard for me to self-efficacy is one of the things I'm working on. So
0: also accepting empathy and uh, uh, holding
1: space for empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the podcast is doing really well and I would love to enjoy that. I have not learned how to do that yet.
2: So what would it take for you?
1: (laughs) I like her. <laughs> I don't have an answer. Right. Yeah.
2: Right. So yeah. then if you're using the thought versus reality, right? Mm-hmm. Just for as an example, right? So what's happening now is that your podcast is doing well on TikTok. That that's what's happening right now. Yeah. But in your opinion, what would it take for you to acknowledge that it's doing well? I
1: don't because it is doing well. It
2: is doing. So that's the reality of it. <laughs> so reality. and you know what I have to tell you that when you did when you did mention that your t- your TikTok is doing well, yeah. your whole body language changed. Your face relaxed, you smiled, your eyes looked different. So I think that you need to just allow yourself to say it is doing well. The reality of it is it is doing well. So enjoy the moment.
1: All right. Thanks for coming on, Lori. That's <laughs> 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 Sorry. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Um, You're very good at what you do. Nice. <laughs> you you do have a
0: book out, and in this book you have these worksheets at the end of it. Yes. Um, are these... Because uh, you, you share examples of these case studies over the years that you, you have with your clients. Yes. Um, is there one that sticks out that you want to share that's like one that's like, I can't believe that this one worked, like a miracle one, or one that was really... One that stands out to you from the book?
2: Well, there's actually... Um two in the book that really stand out to me. And um, one is called, it's the person that had conversion disorder. And conversion disorder is a form of anxiety that is, instead of the person feeling like they're having a panic attack, like a heart attack, or, you know, that they can't breathe, what it is, is they, um, they really believe that they're paralyzed, and they can't walk. And they, that's how debilitating the anxiety is. And I've only had two cases like that. And, um, one of them I talk about in the book. And so when this individual first came to see me, they were actually in a wheelchair and then they were in a walker. Um, I just talked to this individual the other day cause they're having problems, uh, with something else not related to that, but they're going to college this is going to college. They're doing, she, this person has their driver's license. So that to me is amazing. Yeah. It was a incredible. really incredible. It was. And to find out how the family dynamics contribute to the, the debilitating diagnosis itself is interesting because, um, the mom or the dad really didn't know what to do, but they were actually enabling the behavior without knowing it, but they didn't know what to do right at the yeah. time. So, uh, so they were relieved to get a family plan together.
0: Yeah. I, th- I don't think that's, I think that would be a pretty normal scenario with the family that what are you supposed to do besides believe the person that you love? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. If your son or daughter says that they are paralyzed and you've gone to see doctors and they're telling the doctors this and this and that, and you're like, well, that must be it. Um, Right. Yeah. And then they went
2: well, to the, they went to a hospital, actually it was children's <laughs> hospital. You,
0: know, you wouldn't believe it?
2: No, because they really can't. I
0: there's like,
1: you can't tell those kinds of things in like an MRI?
2: Uh, well, they finally did. They oh, okay. finally did. Yeah. But then this individual, once they started walking and things were going well, then they went blind. And so, it, it, it's like, I know, I know, it's really, but they're doing fine now. This individual's doing fine. But I think what happened is... Uh, Wait, they
1: like really went blind? Or yes, because I would blind?
2: say to the mom, okay, uh, shine a flashlight in this individual's eyes. Do they blink? Do they, and they didn't blink, you know? So it's, oh my it, God. I know. So it's an interesting diagnosis. And like I said, I've only seen two. This one was um, recommended for behavioral therapy from, I think it was Children's Hospital, and so um, it's a a real, so that, when you asked me, that was one of the cases. Yeah. The other one was OCD behavior, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder that's in the book, and this individual, along with the one I just mentioned, but this one in particular, because I think it was when I was starting out in my practice, um, I didn't think I was going to be able to help this person, really. I really didn't. When I looked at this person, I thought, oh my gosh, they are just too far gone. And um, they had lost their job, they quit school, their relationship was in disarray. And it was, um, at first it was that this person didn't there was something about cold sores that they couldn't stand to look at a cold sore. And then they couldn't stand to look at a Band-Aid. And so when... And then they were afraid that they were touching... You know, that people would touch their crotch or whatever it was. It was just a very odd, odd thing. And they have to shut the refrigerator 15 times. They have to turn the light off and on. And so um, I wrote a treatment plan. It was very strict. Uh, rules for the bathroom. Rules for the refrigerator. I mean, it was just a whole to replace those rituals and and those obsessive thoughts and medication. I said, you need to to be put on some medication because this is just, I'm not going to be able to do this alone. You're going to need some help. And um, when I was writing the book, I had the couple come back in and talk to me. And I said, you know, I just want to get your perspective because it happened quite a while ago and I'm writing this book and I'm going to put you in it. I'm changing the names, the sex and everything like that. And the individual said to me, you know, Lori, I was really contemplating suicide before I came to see you. And now this person's graduated college. They have a job. They're married. So it was it was pretty profound. Yeah. wow,
1: Wow, that's, That's wild.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you hear about those kind of situations, it is like being trapped inside your body and you don't really know what to do.
2: And listen to this, they still have the original stories and rules now that they use it all the time. But if, if they have to go back to that, the individual will use that still. And that was probably at least 15 years ago.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. I would have thrown that away immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm healed. <laughs> like, I'm healed. Yeah. <laughs> Don't need that. Don't need that. <laughs> yeah. got to hold on to shit. That's good.
0: <laughs> good tip. Um, in this in this uh, I remember sound whatever but in this society that we're living in where a lot of people are getting their information Here from social media
2: yes <laughs> Lou
0: loves this about me because uh, I, I am one of these people who've I've, I've uh, been diagnosed by social media before you know when you when you go down a rabbit hole and you're like, oh I've got that that's I got, what I
1: have I got diagnosed as a narcissist today yeah in the comments <laughs> just, just <today>. yeah. <laughs>
0: We just found out. Yeah. I mean, well, some afford- of us is known for a while, but we just found out. I hate you so much. <laughs> um, but in this in this uh, era that we're living in, where a lot of people are getting uh, kind of secondhand diagnosed through TikTok and Instagram and these videos that people are sharing, um, do you think that's helping or hurting people?
2: Well, I think that would be... Especially when um, younger people, meaning like in their 20s, early, late teens, early 20s, mid 20s, come to see me, they've already self diagnosed. Oh, I looked online and this is what I have. I'm like, okay, now you need to stop looking online. Because then our minds start to get into, like, even if somebody called you a narcissist, then you think, well, maybe I am. Let me look it up. Oh, wait, I have that trait. Oh, wait, I have this. I am, I am. And then you start to talk yourself into whatever that diagnosis is. And um, a lot of the diagnosis is in the DSM, which is what's based off of when you go into a therapist, it's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders. Yeah. And... Um, they're based on characteristics. Like, okay, what do you have? Do you have six out of the 10? All right, check that box, check that one. All right, you have ADHD. All right, you're a narcissist. Okay, so it is, it's based on characteristics, but, I, but you have to be able to determine, is it debilitating? Can you live with anxiety? Yes. Can you live with ADHD? Yes, you can. You have to learn How to adapt with it, right? But you have to, but you can live with it. So what? So what if you have that label?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm. I I went down a. I started again spending more time with myself and noticing all these uh, symptoms and traits that I do and little quirks. And I just always thought that it was just quirks, but yeah. (laughs) I just always thought like, oh, that's a little thing, whatever. And then I I started seeing more and more about ADHD, and I was like, oh, well, that's. that's directly what i do and that's the thing and i went down the rabbit hole and being like i was telling him like i think i have adhd (laughs) and then eventually getting tested and all those things but that was that was what sparked it was seeing these other people um through tiktok uh talk about their adhd and their symptoms like that and i was like oh i do that and i do that and i it was just an endless checklist um
2: but then you got to see a professional yeah. So I think that's the key. So if you feel like, you know, through some of this social media, or looking up something online, you know, to see if you have a diagnosis, if, if you feel that you have some of that criteria, then you would go see a professional, you wouldn't just say, Oh, I have this without really, an right. or I guess you could, but I mean, having an official diagnosis is better because then you can say, now what do I do? Is there, you know, who's giving you the diagnosis? Do they know Right. how can you feel better about yourself if you have this diagnosis? Because a lot of times when we have different diagnoses like ADHD or anxiety, we, there's a shame that comes along with it because you can't have, your relationships are different with people especially with ADHD, which I didn't know. I was fortunate with my husband that we pretty much grew up together <laughs> because we've been together since I was 19. Yeah. So uh, he's very laid back. And so we're just fortunate that it worked out that way. But typically people with ADHD, they have a hard time because other people don't realize our mind just doesn't stop. you know. And yeah. so we're you can have a conversation with me and I can be looking at you and not listening to a word you're saying, right? you know, and I'm already on to my next thought. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot, oftentimes in conversations, I already, I'm predicting the conversation. I already know what they're going to say. So I'm steps ahead or you those kinds of things. You know.
2: Yes, that's true.
0: And you don't.
2: I mean, pretty good.
1: No, <laughs> absolutely not. Couldn't be worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but
2: you know, this podcast might be building your listening skills.
1: Oh,
0: I I would hope so.
1: That's a dream. (laughs) (laughs) We can only hope,
0: Lori. (laughs) Uh, What are some of the symptoms that people should be like? Are there big like red flags that people should be looking out for for ADHD? Like a lot of like, what are the big ones that you go? Oh, well, it depends
2: if you're talking about adults or children, you know, for children um, growing up, if it's undiagnosed, once they get into their teens it's tough because they haven't done well in school typically because they don't pay attention they don't get their work done their work is sloppy they're always getting in trouble and so then they'll tend to gravitate towards a crowd that probably gets into trouble using drugs just pranksters whatever you want to call them because they're accepted into that crowd and then they're going down the wrong path Mm. that's that's typically what happens with the kids Mm. um with adults it (laughs) Well, it's, you know, relationships could be a disaster um, or it's interesting because when I got diagnosed, I came out of a meeting with um, some psychologist and during the meeting I was giving a presentation. And during the presentation the window was open and all of a sudden I look and I go, look at the size of that squirrel. <laughs> and everybody's looking at me like, what in the world is she doing? And then I just went back to my presentation like it was no big deal. Yeah. So we walk out of the room and the psychologist said, Lori, have you ever thought of going on medication? <laughs> and I said wow. And I said, Well, why would I do that? And he said, you know, for your ADHD. And I said, What? And so I thought, well, I don't have ADHD. So I got out my, um, the DSM-5 and I, all, the whole family was in a car, we were going somewhere, and I opened it up and I'm reading and I said, oh my gosh, they should have a picture of me <laughs> yeah. right here because this is me. Yeah. Um, how was I able to function? How was I able to get as far as I did in life? Not having medication, not knowing what I had. Uh, so it is possible. Because I used my sports. If I didn't have sports, I would probably be like my mom, I'm guessing. Yeah. You know, really, if I didn't have sports to really keep me structured, it taught me how to structure my life.
1: Mm. So in the DSM-5, like what were the things that you saw? You're like, oh, this is me. This is me. This is me. Like what were those checks?
2: Um, gee, I at this time, I don't really know. I think um, just... Not being able, able to stay focused for a certain amount of time, not being able to stay on the topic of conversation, distractibility, um, hyperactivity, always being ready to you know to do something without even knowing. You know, I like I ran, I've ran over a hundred marathons, I've done hundred mile runs, I've done five, you know, fifty mile runs. But it's funny because somebody said, "Oh, you ran a marathon, you can do fifty miles." Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> You know, oh, okay, you oh, wow. ran 50 miles. You can run 100 miles. Okay, I'll do that, you know, without even knowing what I was getting into. And then, you know, I went to, I went to get my bachelor's because after my, while my son was in the hospital and very, very sick, dying, I, I saw all the other families and how they were really being ripped apart um, because of their child being sick. And I thought, I want to help these families. I want to help these families. So I went back to school the junior college, and then when I got out, my boss that I started working for, I, I started working with the developmentally delayed individuals. He wasn't the nicest guy, and I thought, I'm going to just open, I'm going to get my license, and I'm going to open up my own practice without realizing, okay, you know, Lori, it's going to take you uh, two years of graduate school, then you're going to take three years of getting your hours, and then it take another year to study for your exam, who looks into that? Right. <laughs> yeah. you know, I have ADHD. Just sign me up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have. I've suffered um, with a lot of short-term thinking because of that, and not being able to long time plan because right. of that ADHD. Because it's just like, oh, yeah, I'll just do it now. I'll I'll figure it out now, and then deal with the rest later. Just like you're like, yeah, I'll open this business. I'll do this. No, no big deal. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I do that too around the house too. I'll be like, I'm just gonna paint this wall real quick. He's <laughs> like what are you doing today? It's so true. (laughs) And here for years, I thought I'm just a project guy. You know what I mean? Like my, my ex would joke around They're like you couldn't mention anything around the house with me because I would just get, I would just jump into it. You know, she'd be like, Oh, I think we should like maybe re put some shelves up here. Like, yeah, we can do that. And then she'd go off and do something and she'd come back and I'm like nailing in the wall. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm putting shelves up. (laughs) She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm a project guy. For years I thought that's just what it was. And I'm like, no, ADHD."
2: But you know what? I think I when people come into my office and they're kind of devastated a a lot of times like, "Oh, I have ADD or I have ADHD or I I said, "Well, let's use it to your advantage. Let's right. figure out really because yeah. there's so many professionals that are OCD on the spectrum for autism or, you know, ADHD whatever it is. They're all professionals. You know, but they've learned how how can you work with it right Mm -hmm. how can you kind of hone in on the strengths and how do you i don't want to say correct the weaknesses but try to help yourself learn better ways to deal with things or to recognize things to become a better listener to not try to finish somebody's sentence just because you know what they're going to say you know so but let them talk (laughs) lou
0: i'm listening Mm
2: And that was really hard for me. I mean, it took me a long time to really active listen. Um, uh, You know, I don't. I try not to let people read me, especially when they're coming to see me. If I, if there's somebody that's a real jerk in my office, right? I'm not gonna let them know that I think that, right? right? Because I want that's bad for business, (laughs) and I want to help them. Yeah. So um, I don't know. It just everything is a learning process, and I just think that everybody's brain works differently, you know? Yeah. And we all have to learn, what is the best way for me to move forward and be happy with myself? This is who I am, you know? This is it.
1: Yeah, that's my struggles because when there is that person in the office, I do want to let them know. <laughs> well, yeah. that was
2: my, yes. And so, well, early on in my career, I've had to walk out, and one in particular meeting, I stood up, there was a lot of people there, and I said, you know what? I'm going to have to leave now before I say something I'm going to regret. It was at a school and I was just really upset that the school wasn't doing enough for the student because I knew that what we were doing at home was working and they wouldn't do it in the school. Yeah. And so now I'm better, but before, at first, I guess I would say something and then I got to the point where I would excuse myself. And yeah. now I know how to present it in a way where it's.
1: Yeah. I just want to get to a point where I just don't care enough to say it like now, if someone's being a dickhead, I'll be like, "Hey, you know you're being a dickhead right now. Do you, do you not know that?"
0: Yeah, the problem is Lou has no regrets afterwards. Yeah. He just says it and <laughs> just.
1: It's like, oh, he's being a dickhead. Like no one's gonna tell him. Yeah. No. Like I'll do it.
2: Well, sometimes I still do that. That just happened at Costco the other day. There actually, I was Aww. telling my I was telling my daughter about this because I went to get my rewards card check or whatever it is. Yeah. And the one girl says, "Well, do you have this one or this one?" I said, well, "I think I have this one." And she goes. Well, We can't help you, you have to go to Citibank. I said, Well, wait a second, uh, the guy last year helped me get it. Well, I can't do that, you have to do that on your phone. Oh. And then the other girl next to her, the other salesperson, said, I'll help you with that. Mm. And I said, She's being nice, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I said. I love it,
1: it's <laughs> pretty great. Oh, that's great.
2: I mean, really. Yeah. So I guess um, I guess there is a place in time when I'm in my office or at a meeting at a school. I try to contain myself a little bit.
0: Maybe maybe you can just change it a little bit. Maybe you can just tell people, hey, you're not being nice right now. <laughs> yeah. Instead of I be mean, like, that's you're not a dickhead. bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a it. it's a start.
2: It's a start. Yeah.
0: You're not being nice right now.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just want to be a little more sharp with it. Yeah, you know. You too. <laughs> Like it's not as disarming. I'd like to disarm. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
0: So, if you have somebody like me who is late to the party for ADHD, <laughs> diagnosed at forty, uh, what are, what should I expect? What, should, what is the next step? Like, if, 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 if I'm just now learning this about me, like, what, what is the next step? Like, what does it look like?
2: Well, I think what you need to figure out is what's not working for you in your life right now is it what is holding you back from from what do you think is holding you back
0: oh distractions yeah and motivation even though i he calls me last minute larry all the time because yeah i i have the lack of motivation for any kind of project until like it's down to the wire and that that gets me going then I have to you know, that, that causes the adrenaline right. it's
2: that everything. procrastination that creates mm-hmm. the anxiety and you're the one that's doing it to yourself
0: Absolutely. if you give me three months to do a project uh, it will be done two days before it needs to be done and I will yeah it's, well, it'll be done it'll, it'll be great but well it won't be as good as it could have been <laughs> <laughs> you're not being nice right it'll now it'll be done <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I mean yeah it's that procrastination and it's very
2: stressful for the people like You know, it's very stressful for the people around you who have to wait for that and see that you're not on the project, right? I'm sure that's stressful for you. It's stressful
1: for everyone else. (laughs) Everyone but you. Yeah, I'm great. So what I what
2: I've (laughs) taught my clients with um ADD or ADHD and what really helped me was I don't know if you have this, and a lot of people work strictly from their phones when they have dates that things are due. But I like to have a planner out in front of me. And I tell my clients with ADD or ADHD, you've got to have a physical planner. I carried it with me. I have it with me today. Uh, and I work backwards. So let's say there is a project that's due in three months. It's like training for a race, it's the same principle. <laughs> yeah. Really, it is. So You're
0: amazing. really trying to get us to do a marathon, Lloyd. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, it's not working. Sorry. Okay. Well, look at that <laughs> uh, I um, I don't want to
1: drive a hundred (laughs) miles.
2: So, um, but what I do is you work backwards. And so from, you know, starting next week, where, what do you have to do on that project on Monday? And you have to block out a certain amount of time that's allowed for that project. Now, if your attention will only take you to where you can work on it for an hour or 45 minutes and you schedule an hour of working on the project and then an hour of doing something else in your house. But you have to follow that timeline because it'll keep you on track to where you want to be. And that would be leading up to your final date, which is three months yeah. from now. But you, but you have to follow it. I mean, really, the yeah. planner is key.
1: So stop relying on motivation. No, you
2: can't. rely
1: yeah. on discipline.
2: And I think the motivation comes from checking off. I did that for an hour. How cool is that?
0: Yeah, I've heard I've heard these little tips about um, setting a timer. So you you're trying to find like you said, like if I can work on it for an hour, great. Then that's what I schedule. Yeah, no, but you work have to for... schedule
2: it. You have to go for the planner. You can right. set the timer, that's fine. Yeah. You know, you typically the timer will probably use for when you're taking a break from the project <laughs> to get you back to the project. Right,
0: two and a half weeks. Set this timer <laughs> and we're good to go.
2: But I'm telling you, it is it's it's amazing what a planner can do.
0: Yeah, I I do. I, you know what I I like physically writing stuff down and having it digitally. And I didn't know that was a. I'll, I'll show
2: you my planner before I leave. Take a picture of it. Yeah. Is it
0: all highlighted and stuff like that or no? Uh,
2: no. And I do it in pencil. Some, I used to highlight, but then some things change. Right. So, <laughs> you know, nobody uses whiteout anymore. So, yeah. so yeah. I use a pencil now. What a concept, right? You can erase it and then fill it in with something else. Yeah. Um, but I do cross things off and or check it out or, or, you know, put a line through it. And it's a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. And if you want, at the end of the week, if you've followed your planner, then do something nice for yourself, you know, whatever that is. Go get an ice cream cone or whatever you want to do.
0: Yeah. Set up some kind of a reward points there. Yes. Well, exactly. hit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, dopamine hit. Yep. Get a little gold star, you know. Yeah, man. Get a little treat at the end of the week.
2: It, it really, <laughs> But you know what? It really does work. And I think yeah. it, and it makes you feel good about yourself because you're like, right. wow, I really stick to this. I actually worked on my project today. It's not even due for three months and I worked on it for an hour. How cool is that?
0: Yeah. yeah. I've also heard of dopamine menus. Have you heard of this? Um, again, this is something I saw off TikTok, which Lula. There's a surprise. Uh, but it's a dopamine <laughs> menu. It looks like a menu that you would see at a restaurant, but it has listed appetizers, like little things that you could do for dopamine hits, like make your bed or do the dishes or whatever. So it has that. And then like main courses that you could do that are actually you know bigger projects you have listed and stuff it's like that. It's funny
2: that you say that because I when I was going to use an example of – taking a break, like doing laundry, right, clothes or vacuuming, and then coming back to the task. It's amazing when you have ADHD, like breaking it up with just little things around the house. It does work. And for some individuals, we call it a sensory diet. So if you look mm. up sensory diet, that could be taking a brisk walk, going for a little bike ride, you know, or taking the dog for a walk, if you have one, um, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's getting out of the... The situation that you're in, whether it's studying or working on a project and changing that rhythm a little bit, getting a yeah. sensory diet in there.
0: Yeah, I do like that. I do like changing my environment. So I'll, I will go for a walk. I like to be outside. Oh, that's so, good. yeah. So if I'm working all day on something or sitting in front of the computer, I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here and I'll go for a walk or a bike ride or something like that and come back to it. And it's, Isn't it, it, it amazing? Resets. I know it's great. it
2: is. Yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> 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 you. <laughs> So I, I'm I'm guessing that you don't have ADHD then.
1: Uh, I've never been diagnosed. Um, the only things that that I talked that I've talked about in therapy that ring to ADHD are um, distraction from tasks. Like I'll get up and be like, all right, I'm gonna brush my teeth, and like twenty minutes will go by, and I've done eight other things. Or if I'm working on something, I will like lock in and like five hours will go by hyper focus yes so I was talking right (laughs) and uh don't be a dickhead (laughs) no no. (laughs) I wasn't being nice (laughs) uh yeah so those are the two main things but I don't have like the I I'm pretty good at if I need to get something done I'll get it done I do not want to wait till the deadline I want to plan ahead because I don't want to I'm gonna make sure I'm not fucking myself later so Distraction yeah. and hyperfocus is basically
0: lose, a, the lose a planner.
2: Lives. That's great. Yeah. That's good. Well, you can use some of what he's doing and, and, and start to utilize that. The thing is that a lot of this is extra work. So people that come to see me, they have to know that, look at this type of therapy, you're going to be given homework and then you're going to be given some other tasks that you have to do. It's all a part of it. So they have to be willing to do that. Uh, Typically, I'll, I'll talk with a client on the phone first just to kind of set it up for them to let them know this is what the therapy looks like. And if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, then I don't want to, um, I am not gonna, i don't feel right taking their money. And I'll tell them, look, this doesn't seem like a good time for you. Or yeah. maybe this isn't the type of therapy that's going to work for you because you actually have to put the work in outside of my office. And that's actually what sets us apart too, is that typically when you go in for therapy in a session, they're like, okay, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to do some deep breathing. And then you leave the office. So you're not in that clinical environment anymore, but you're expected to use those strategies in the moment my thing is if you haven't practiced those outside of my office when you're not anxious how are you going to use that when a situation comes to just be able to expect to use it without practicing it
1: yeah that's valid hmm.
2: Thank and you, i you. fucking i
1: fucking hate doing that shit in therapy like you're gonna watch me do this like i don't <laughs> don't go yeah. outside and i'll try it
0: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Lou has a new therapist who has him doing some non-traditional exercises in the in the office, and he's not used to it, and and I'm loving it, and uh, I think she's doing a great job. Uh, but it's taking him out of his comfort zone and stuff like that, so it's interesting to hear. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: It is better. It is be- I think it's better to be challenged in therapy, so I think, I think it is a good thing. Good. Yeah. Hate it, but <laughs> it's a good thing.
2: Therapy isn't that fun.
1: It really isn't.
0: No. <laughs> It's, it's supposed to be work, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. <laughs> uh,
2: so I guess if it's not fun, then it's working.
1: I don't. I don't. Know that that's a pretty blanket statement, but I don't. I don't hate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, if you don't hate it, and maybe you're seeing results already, that's a good thing.
1: Yeah. It's it's definitely it's been nothing but positive. Oh, that's great. It's Just it's uncomfortable and. You know, and then we come on here and we talk about it. and We try to be vulnerable and it's just, it's very uncomfortable.
2: But. So when it's positive for you, is that something that you can think about when you're starting to think negatively? The positive outcomes that you've had in therapy?
1: Uh, yeah, in a way, the way I look at it is um, when those things happen, I'm essentially, if I'm in therapy and it's uncomfortable, I know that last week it was uncomfortable when I had uh I had positive things. So I'm I'm proving to my future self that it's worth it.
2: Right. That's yeah. Right. So
1: in those moments I can look back and be like, dude, you just did this. It's gonna be great. And then I just kind of keep as it a, a pay it forward to my future that's self. Good.
2: That's good. So you're I using positive out. self-talk.
1: All right. <laughs> I'll take it. Yes, that's, I am. Yes, that's Thank a good. You.
2: That's good.
1: Yeah. She's healing me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um Going back to the ADHD, it seems like one of the main uh, resolutions for it is is medication, and there's so many different medications out there. Is that the only treatment for that, or can you kind of, I don't want to say fix it or solve it, but can you learn to use it better or use it for your advantage without medication, do you think? Or is there, is there alternative ways besides medication? So for ADHD, I,
2: there are, and I was not on, I mean, I got through, I got through, I got my bachelor's. I got two masters. I have my own business before I even knew this is what I had. So there are ways, there are tools and strategies that you can use to get you through it. Then I did try medication for a while when the psychologist suggested that, you know, Hey, maybe you want to try this. So I did that for a couple of years and I thought, nah, I, I just don't want to, I'm going to go back to my old way. This is who I am. I can do it. I'm going to use the strategies that I used before, which is my planner, which is trying to be very structured, keeping my work environment clean and just trying to know what works for me. Cause, cause you, after a while you kind of know what's working and what's not working for you. Right. Yeah. Um, And I went back to doing that. And I've been that way for probably six years now without medication. I was only on medication for about three years. Yeah. And there's different types of medication, too. So there's some medications where you take it once in the morning, long-lasting. It stays in your system all day long. And there's other, which was short-term. So it stays in your system for like four hours or so. Um, I used to use the short-term one because I didn't want to be... I don't know. It was just something I didn't want to be like that all day. Or what if I was going to have a board meeting, or I had to get a lot of work done, or I just wanted to stay focused? Then I would use it. But now, I, I think just using the strategies that I've told you about, and mainly the planner, really becoming organized in your work environment, and having somebody help you structure that. Yeah. Um, and they call it now. They call it executive functioning skills. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, that's a a, TikTok term. term. So that's just another name for let's get organized. Yeah. You know, how do you organize your workspace and your home so that you will get stuff done? So that's what I do help people with as well.
0: Just setting yourself up for success pretty much.
2: Yes. What has worked for you? I can tell you this is going to help you. This is going to help you. Now let's put it in place. And I'll even have like, I'll tell clients, okay, I want you to take a picture of where you put the visuals that I gave you. You know, did you put it by the computer? Is the signal plan by the computer? Is the, you know, um, I also, you typically give a visual, um, God, I can't even, I can't think of what it. It's something about stay positive. Yeah, so some type of affirmation. I can't remember. It's what they used in England during the war.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, hookers.
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: stay calm think positive oh yes oh, so okay. that was actually used during world war ii where they would put up these flyers and so that's a cognitive behavioral and a behavioral thing they put up these flyers stay calm think positive as they're getting bombed you know but it did help a little bit i guess did and it i well i don't know Shit. well, well we're using it now in my <laughs> yeah. and so yeah. when you when you see something like that if you do have something that's calming that you can keep in your room what do you have that will... And a stress ball, whatever it is, some visuals that will help you stay on task.
0: So you work with a lot of visual aids then? I
2: do. So the visual is changing the environment. How do we change the environment? And I have the client show me show me your desk. You know, sometimes we'll do like a FaceTime one where you can show me everything in your room. So we have the planner. And then I also typically give out a whiteboard that's Monday through Sunday and different things they can write on the whiteboard that's different in the planner, you know, like trash day or uh, whatever it is. You can put that on your Monday through Sunday list or an appointment with so-and-so. So you have all these different visuals. Visuals are huge.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, you've made me a believer.
1: <clears throat> I feel like that's almost, a, I feel like, oh. You can see it. Do you do you believe people, like when you're on a Facetime when they're showing you? I feel like that like a lot. How do you not treat it like brushing your teeth real good before you go to the dentist?
0: Oh Uh, yeah, that's interesting. You know what
1: I mean? Be like, oh no, I got my Facetime today. Let me organize this shit out of this. (laughs) Yeah,
2: that's true. But then you know you're wasting your money on me. Why would you do that?
1: So you're just kind of putting the faith in them that yes. Okay.
2: And if they say, you know, and sometimes people will say, well, you know, this really isn't working for me and maybe it isn't working for you. Maybe it isn't the right type of therapy, but let me see your work environment then. Let me see what are you doing? Are you following everything we went through um, or do we need to change something in the plan? Because that's a possibility. Maybe we need to change or add something Mm. uh, in the plan. And there's typically, you know, there's triggers for different emotions that we have and, what do you do with those emotions once you get them? So certain people have anger issues and some have where they're very anxious. So let's find out what those triggers are and how do we stop it before it happens?
0: I love it. Um, you brought uh, a copy of your book with you today. I can't wait to check it out. Um, do you want to tell everybody where they can get a copy? And, um... Um,
2: you can get a copy at, uh, you can order it on Amazon you can order Barnes and Noble. Um, I think that's it. There's a, a I'm so bad. <laughs> there is a website for my book, you're not crazy book.com.
0: Okay, great. And where can people find you?
2: They can find me either on that website or lorriesingerbehavioral.com.